My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here and filling in for Matt uh, this morning. Uh, I am super excited that I get to be the one to kick off uh, this This Is Us sermon series. As Matt said, uh, the purpose of this series is for, for us to take a look at the vision and the mission that God has called River Ridge to be and to talk about the things uh, that we think God has called us to be. And, you know, I think with this sermon series, I think there's three categories of people that are here today. Uh, the first category is those of you who are, man, you're already on board. You know the vision, you know the mission, you've heard it, you're on board, you're serving, you're giving, you're doing all the things, you're excited about the way God is working here, and you're engaged, and you're, uh, you're on board with the mission here. And if that's you, our hope with this series is that you hear some of the things uh, that gave you that passion in the first place, to be fired up about the things that God is doing here at River Ridge, uh, and to just continue to add fuel to that fire of that passion. Uh, the second category is people um, is that, you know, you're here. Uh, and maybe not completely on board yet for whatever reason. Um, and you know what? We are, we are thrilled to death that you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, but our hope is, is that with this sermon series, that maybe you hear some of the things that might uh, ignite a passion or some of the things um, make you want to get more involved in the things going on at River Ridge Church. Third category of, of people is uh, those of you who are new or newer, new-ish. Uh, we do one of these vision series about once a year, um, so if you've been coming here for about a year or less, this might be the first time you've heard some of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, this is a great sermon series for you because it kind of gives you a chance to kind of peek behind the curtain and see what uh, we are all about uh, here at River Ridge. But regardless of what uh, three camps that you are in, our hope is that everybody here is united behind the vision uh, that God has given us about the church that, that we think we should be. And the reason for that is I think about this example. Like if you go to a football stadium, take Mountaineer Field, for example, and, you know, there's one person that's chanting, let's go Mountaineers, in the midst of 59,999 other people, right? That's going to get drowned out. You, you could be five seats over from them and you wouldn't hear them. But when you get 60,000 people in that place that are our chaining together, let's go, Mountaineers, that reverberates. You can hear it out in the parking lot. And the idea is that when we are united around one common purpose, one common vision, we have so much more power together than we have if we are separate. And so that's what we want this place to be. We want this place to be somewhere that everybody is behind because we think is if we are united in this vision, we can do some really great things in the Canal Valley. And that has a lot of power when we are stand behind uh, this vision. So before we go any further, I want to pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you for uh, the vision that you have given us, uh, that you want this place to be, Lord. Our, our prayer and our hope is that we are exactly uh, who you want us to be, nothing more, nothing less, God. And I just pray that this series, uh, that you just speak to us individually to help us see uh, the vision uh, that you've given us so that we can be the place that you want us to be, God. All these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. So have you ever been on the outside looking in? So back when I was in college, all of my good friends were pledging to a particular fraternity, okay? And I did not get an invitation. And to be honest with you, I did nothing to deserve or earn that invitation. Like the whole time that they were pledging, I was like, man, you are stupid. I, you don't want to be part of fraternity. And I just made it really feel like that I didn't want to have anything uh, to do with that. And that I was making the better decision. They were making the not wise decision. But to be honest with you, the whole process, like I was a little bummed out. I, I really wanted to be invited and I wasn't. And I definitely had an idea that I was on the outside and they were the inside. So I spent two years of college being very bitter about the fact that I was on the outside of this organization. All my friends were on the inside and that I wanted to be a part of it, but nobody would give me uh, an invitation. And so I tell you that story because I think that when it comes to church, 
Uh, Christians, we are not very good about making it an us and them environment. And that's a big deal because when people feel that way, they feel like they're outsiders. And when somebody feels like they're on the outside of church, then they naturally assume, well, I guess that means I'm on the outside of God then too. And in fact, I think that the church has done such a bad job of this, there's a fundamental question that I think people on the outside uh, don't have a very good appreciation of. And it's this question of what is God's heart towards those that are far from him? And if you are on the outside right now, if you were sitting at home uh, in your house and you ask that question, what is God's heart towards me? I wonder how you would answer that. I wonder how people would answer that. My guess is, is that people, there might be some people out there who would want to be involved in a church, but they're like, you know what, I just, my life isn't together enough uh, to go to church. It's like the reason that I don't go to a gym, because I have this idea in my head that in order to go to a gym, I have to be in shape first, and then once I get in shape, then I'll go to the gym, right? That's how our mind works. And I think it's the same way for a lot of people for church. They think once I get my life together, then I'll go to church, but until I do, I'm not good enough to go to church. And see, at River Ridge Church, we want to be a place where everyone is welcome. That's a huge part of who we are. We don't want to create an us and them environment because we know that our lives aren't any better. Our lives aren't any more put together. We have anxieties. We have doubts. We have fears. We have all these things. We're very much like them too. The only difference between us and them is that we have him. And we recognize that. And we know that there is no difference. There is no difference. We are just like them. And so here we are 2,000 years after Jesus walked the face of the earth, and if you look at how it was back then, it was exactly the same way. So let's uh, turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 1. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so see right off the bat, we see the them label. And so there was a crowd gathering around Jesus to hear them speak. And on one side, you had the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were like the professional do-gooders, okay? And on the other side, you had the quote-unquote sinners and tax collectors. You couldn't have picked two more polar opposite groups that had come together around Jesus. And I love that in, uh, I love how the, the Bible describes the Pharisees here. It says they muttered, muttered. What a great word, muttered, right? And so you look at the dictionary, muttered is, it says it's something that's indistinctively low as if talking to oneself. And I think this is great because it's such a picture of the Pharisees and their heart towards those people at the time. They were just, they, their hearts were so stirred up by the fact that these people were coming to hear around Jesus. They were just so mad about it. It was just, they couldn't hold it in. They just muttered. That man welcomes sinners. How dare he? They're indignant. And so you're going back to the tension that we talked about earlier in terms of what do people who are far from God, what do they think God's heart is towards them? The Pharisees at this time, they thought, well, if somebody's far from God, then God has contempt of them, and we need to show contempt to them. We need to be over here, and they're over there. We don't have anything to do with those people because they're far from God. And so Jesus, being aware of, I think, kind of the, the, the situation and the tension, he says, guys, let me, let me tell you a story. So verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep 
until he finds it. And you see, Jesus was a master storyteller. And so you had these, again, these two polar opposite groups of people, the Pharisees and the sinners. But at this point in the story, they're all like, yeah, that's what you do. You lose a sheep, you go after it. Because that was common knowledge to the culture back then in the context. And because what they knew was, this is pretty interesting, that you know, if, a, if the sheep are together as a herd, the herd's not going anywhere. The herd is going to be there. It's just they're too stupid. They just stay with the herd. But if you have a sheep that gets separated from the herd and goes off by itself, that sheep's life is in grave danger. And yeah, the shepherd leaves the herd and goes after to find the lost sheep. So verse 5, Jesus continues, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so I love the words that Jesus used to describe the reaction of the shepherd when he finds a lost sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He invites his friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me, I have found this lost sheep. And so you contrast this rejoicing and this, uh, the joy and the rejoicing versus the Pharisees who are over here muttering. It shows you that difference of how they viewed the situation. And so the point here is, is, you know, it's a good thing when the lost sheep comes back to the herd. And there's a great irony here because if you take a step back and just look at the factual situation that's going on here, if you look at verse, back in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. So think about what was happening. You had people who were far from God who were coming to God. And instead of the Pharisees saying, that is awesome, that's what we want, this is great, let's rejoice, let's celebrate, they're over there saying, I can't believe him. I can't believe that he is welcoming those people. So Jesus goes on, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. At this point, in my head, and when I'm kind of picturing the story, at this point, I can picture all the sinners like looking at the Pharisees and being like, mm-hmm, right? Because they know where this is going. And the point here is this, is that when we lose something of value, we focus on what is lost to the neglect of what is unlost. That's just human nature. I actually saw a news story this week that really just points this out. So Julio Jones, who's the uh, Pro Bowl receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, he lost a $150,000 earring while he was jet skiing at a lake. So he hired a team of divers to go search this lake for the $150,000 earring. I mean, there's so many questions, right? Like, first off, who buys a $150,000 earring? That's question one. Two, if you had one, would you wear it jet skiing in a lake, right? But instead of being, you know, like, well, and by the way, this guy's going to make $10 million next year uh, playing football. $11.5 million, sorry. I gave him a pay cut there. But instead of, you know, this guy who could probably afford to go buy another $150,000 earring, that's not what he does. He doesn't say, oh, well, I lost it. I'll just buy another one. He hires a team of divers to go look for this one earring. He can't just 
you know, take the one he has and be happy with that, or he can't just buy a new one. And that's just human nature. That's what happens when we lose something of value. That's what we want to do. It's like if you had, you know, four kids and your spouse called and you're like, honey, I lost Billy. You wouldn't be like, oh, we got three others. That's fine. We're just, we got three. It's not how humans work. We make an effort to find what is lost. And here's the thing. So I can, I can imagine the people who are listening to this story, they're kind of getting at this point. They say, okay, so it's a good thing when people who are far from God come back to God. But, but Jesus, we don't really understand because, you see, God doesn't lose people. It's not like God misplaces somebody and he's like, where, you know, where, did, where did he go? I don't know where he is. That's not what he's talking about when you're talking about lost and found. So Jesus goes on in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And this is what's commonly referred to as the prodigal of the prodigal son. And if you haven't heard this one before, uh, it's, I think, one of the most powerful parables that Jesus tells. If you have heard it, just pretend you haven't because it'll kind of help you process the story a little better. And so this is how the story goes. So this man who had spent his life, you know, acquiring this wealth and building this estate, he had two sons. And, you know, when, when the father passes away, the sons would get the share of the estate as an inheritance. But what the younger son goes to his father and he says, you know, dad, I'm more interested in your money than I am with you. So why don't you just give me the money now? I don't really want to wait till you die till I get your money. Just go ahead and, and give me the money now. And again, both camps, Pharisees and the sinners would have heard this and they'd have been like, that's so disrespectful. They've been indignant. That's so insulting that he would ask his father that. But the father gives half of the share to the son, the younger son. And the younger son goes away to a faraway land where the Bible says he squandered it in wild living. And about this time, a famine kicks in. So he lost all of his money. He's in a place far from home. And the only job this kid can get is tending to pigs in a field. And so for you, for a young Jewish boy in a faraway home with no money, tending to pigs in a field would be about rock bottom. That's about as far down as you could get. And at this point, I can just picture the Pharisees being like, yeah, we like this story. He got what he had coming to him. He deserved that. That's probably the Pharisees when they were hearing this, probably what they were thinking. But then the, the story goes on. Jesus says that the, um, the younger brother starts to think about home, starts to miss home. It has a change of heart. He starts to think, I wonder if home is missing me. And so he gets this idea that I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to repent and tell him, hey, I'm sorry. I don't even, you don't even need to be, a, I don't need to be your son anymore. Just let me back in the house. I'll be a servant. So he packs up his stuff and he goes home. And you can picture kind of the scene here is you got the, the estate kind of up on the hill. And this is how I picture it anyway. You got the estate on the hill. And you got kind of these like rolling hills. And off in the distance of the road, here comes the younger brother. He's walking back home. He's probably nervous. He's probably thinking, I, I just, I don't know what the reaction is going to be. And at this point, I think the Pharisees were kind of wondering like, what's the father going to do? This is great. Dad sees him coming. How's he going to respond to this son coming back? So this is where the story picks up in uh, verse 20. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with blank for him. What's the father's reaction? What's his heart filled with? Is he filled with anger? Is he filled with, um, with apathy? How does the father respond? Since his father saw him and was filled with compassion. 
if I were writing the story, that would not be how I would write the father's reaction to the son coming back. And so I ask you the question, if you're writing the story, what would be the father's response? What do you think the younger brother deserves here? How should he have to pay his father back? How should he have to earn his place back in this family? What should he have to do to get back in good graces with his father? You see, compassion. And I bet the Pharisees were like, compassion? Really? That's where you were going with this? He gets compassion? Are you kidding me? And see, how I, th- I think that how we fill in the blank there with what our reaction to be when people who are far from God come back to God, I think it goes a long way for us individually and as a church to determining a lot of things about how we do things. If you remember the rest of the story, so the younger brother comes home, dad throws him a party. The older brother goes to his dad and says, dad, I did everything you asked me to do and you gave me nothing. And so verse 31 says, this is the uh, father's response to the older brother. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So three points come out of this. The first point, it all makes sense when you read these three parables together. When you're talking about lost and found, lost does not mean like lost on a map. Found does not mean like uncovered. Okay? When Jesus is talking about something being lost, he's talking about the relationship was broken. And when he's talking about something being found, he's talking about the relationship being restored. And so the second point then is our Father in heaven rejoices when somebody who is far from him returns to him. It goes back to that question we started with. What is God's heart towards people who are far from him? And you just have to look at this, the story, uh, this, this passage, to get the answer to that question. You can see what's happening here. Jesus, God, is welcoming sinners and tax collectors coming back towards him. He's welcoming them. God welcomes those who are far from him back to him. And these are all important points, but I think the third point here, which really um, matters for this, the sermon series we're in, the This Is Us series, is this point. You see, churches in general, I think, are naturally inclined to gravitate to serving the 99 and the 9 and the older brothers of this world, right? Because, why is that? Because it's who we are, and it's easier, right? We want church to be more about what we want and not what the younger brothers of this world need church to be. If you look at Luke 19, uh, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So when God came down to earth to be among us, what was his purpose here? Was to seek and to save the lost. If we're supposed to be as the church, if we're supposed to be the body of Christ, then that should definitely be part of our mission too, to seek and to save the lost. And so that answers the question. We're talking about why do we want to be a place where everyone is welcome? That's the why. Let's talk about the how. How do we make River Ridge a place where everyone feels welcome? Well, let's start with the first point, and this is just a practical one. Uh, we're a big church, and big churches, sometimes it's hard for everybody to feel welcome here. You know, we, when somebody fills out a Connect card when they're visiting with us, they fill out a Connect card, they send it in, we mail them. One of the things that we mail them is a, an opinion card where they can... Uh, talk about their experience here and mail it back to us to give us their opinions. And, you know, nine times out of ten, we get very good responses to those cards. People have a great experience. They like it. They come back. But the one time out of ten, when we don't get it, it's almost always something along this 
line. And this is actually, this is a real life opinion card that we got uh, just recently in the mail back. There's a line that says, this is what I like least. And this is what the person responded. I just felt very lonely. No one really spoke to me. And when we hear, when, you know, when I see that, that breaks our heart. That makes us sad. And I think the, the, the reason that happens, and it's a, you know, it's a natural reason, but I think what happens is, you know, people who come here regularly, you kind of have your section where you sit, right? Everybody kind of has their little section. And then if somebody sits down to you that you don't recognize, you know, you think to yourself, are they new or are they just sitting in my section today, right? And so we don't welcome them. We don't say hi, good morning, because we're afraid of this conversation going something like this. Hey, hi, my name's Keith. Welcome. Hey, are, are, you, are you new here? dude, I've been coming here for seven years, you know? That's what we're afraid of happening, and that happens, right? And so out of a fear of that conversation, we just don't do anything. And so because of this, I want to create a new, a new rule here at River Ridge. Thus saith Keith. Here's a new rule, okay? The new rule is this, is that if you are a regular and you're talking to somebody else who's a regular, and that conversation comes up, and you find out that you've been going to the same church for seven years, and you didn't have a clue who the other person was, okay? The rule is, nobody's allowed to be offended. Nobody's allowed to feel embarrassed. We just laugh it off and say, we go to a big church. That's what happens when you go to a big church. Sometimes we don't know everybody who comes here. Because I would much rather that happen than for you to be sitting three feet from somebody who this is their first time here, and you don't talk to them because you're afraid that maybe they're come here too, and I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't know who they are, Okay? We need to be welcome. We need to be friendly. We need to be hospitable. That's just how we should be anyway in general to other people. But it's even especially here when people are here on Sunday morning. We need to be welcoming to our visitors. And so just talk to people. Say hi. Strike up a conversation. The other thing uh, that we want to do to help with the, um, the idea that we want to be a welcoming place is if you've been coming here a while, you've heard, this, you've heard us use this phrase a lot, and it's invest and invite. And what this means is, is we want to be investing in our relationships and our friendships with those who are far from God, who are outside the church. We want to be investing in these relationships. And, you know, Young Life has a phrase that I really love to describe this. Like Young Life says you have to earn the right to be heard, right? That's what we want to do. We want to earn the right to be heard in people's lives so that we can talk to them. We can give them an invitation, whether it's a personal invitation to talk about our faith and the gospel and what Jesus means to them, or whether it's an invitation to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday morning? And these, these opportunities will naturally come up if you let them. I've, one of the most natural ways I've seen this conversation happen is at my uh, other job, I used to come in on Monday mornings, and, you know, it's, you're sitting around, it's Monday morning conversation. Hey, man, what'd you do this weekend? And I used to say, ah, I didn't really do anything. Well, I did something. I came here, right? So when people start asking me, what did I do over the weekend? I started telling them, like, I went to church. I played in the band. I spoke. I did something else. And that, just even that natural conversation, and I've had so many good conversations about inviting people to come here because of that exchange. So it's a, very, it's a very natural way. Just tell people about coming here. The other thing that we want to do in terms of investing and inviting, the other tool that we've uh, given you is, you know, we have, um, we have two active social media accounts. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And the sole purpose that we have these pages, the only reason they exist, is that we want to post content out there that then you all like comment on, share, repost, whatever. Because what happens is when you engage with the posts that we put out there, I don't know if you all know how this works, but then your friends will see the posts that we, come, that we put out there. And I cannot tell you how many times that I've posted something on my Facebook page from, from this church, 
and had somebody come up to me the next week and said, hey, what's this big kick soccer camp that you are having? Do we tell me about this? It leads to conversations. And so this is probably the only time uh, you're ever going to hear a pastor from a stage tell you this during a sermon. But if you do not, uh, if you're not following our Facebook page or Instagram page, you are invited to get on there right now, look us up, like us, okay? And then when we do that, again, like, share, comment, share. It's a tool for you to use to start a conversation with people uh, in your life. The other thing we do is we have, we do a lot of events here and we try to think about these events. We call them uh, an invitation event. And I'll give you some examples. Uh, Some of the things will be things like, um, like our Good Friday service, our Easter services, our Christmas night of worship, our Christmas Eve service, the football Sunday we do on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, Big Kick Soccer Camp. All of these things are, are made for you to not only come, you come, but also for you to invite people to bring with you. You say, hey, you know, our church is doing a Good Friday service or our church is doing a Christmas concert. Why don't you come with me this Friday? We'll go out, we'll, we'll have dinner beforehand and we can come, you can come with me and we'll, we'll go to this, this thing. These are, things that you, these are things that will naturally lend itself for you inviting people and the people to come with you. And then once you invite people to come here, one of the things that we want to do when they get here is we want to make sure they have a great experience. And so one of the things that we are very focused on here is having excellent environments and excellent programming. Because we want people to come here, we want them to enjoy their time on Sunday morning. You notice we just built that new welcome center out in the lobby recently. That whole purpose of that was for people to have a good first experience, welcoming, a place to have visitors where come, where they can find out information. That place is for them, it's for people who are visiting. Uh, That's why we paved the rest of the parking lot recently. That's why you're going to continue to see um, upgrades to the building as we move forward to make this place an environment that is welcoming and a place that people want to come back. And then once they're here in terms of the programming, you know, we want to create a kids ministry and student ministry where you can drop your kids off and they love it. They want to come back and you feel comfortable dropping them off there. We want to create an atmosphere in here where you can come in and we want the music to be very good because we want people to to enjoy uh, the, the good quality of music. We want the messages... We want people to be able to relate to the messages. We want them to be relevant, to be applicable to people. Um, we want them to like the pastor, which is why Matt only lets me do this a couple times a year. But regardless, you know, we want people to be touched by something, whether it's something they see, something they hear, some conversation they have, some interaction they have with you all. We want people to be touched, and we want them to come back. Um, because what we are all about here at Riverridge Church is helping people take the next steps in their journey with God. And for some people, that next step maybe the first step. And that is awesome when that happens. But regardless of where you are on that spectrum, we want you to be able to come back here and to take that next step to further your walk with God. Because we've seen it happen, and we know it happens, is when you come back and when you get engaged, when you enter into um, authentic relationships with other people, when you read your Bible more, when you pray more, when you serve, when you give, when you lead, when you do all these things, the next steps, these things lead to authentic and long-term life change. We've seen it happen. I guarantee you, could pull people right now and people are shaking their heads like, yeah, that's my story. That's my story here at River Ridge. It's really that simple. That's how we want to be a place where everyone is welcome. Uh, I want to close with a, with a story. And so um, it's funny because I was supposed to give this message last week, right? And I didn't. So I'm giving it this morning. And as I was preparing for the message, I was trying to think of like, a good funny story to tell you about me losing something of value. And I was thinking, like, I really haven't, like, ever lost anything. Well, I mean, I've lost, like, stupid stuff, you know, but nothing where it's, like, you get that sinking feeling when you know it's missing, okay? That's a terrible thought to have when you're preparing for a sermon, right? Because guess what happened this week? We lost a set of car keys. And I'm not talking about, like, 
a key car key. I'm talking about one of those like expensive fob things that cost an arm and a leg to replace, right? We lost one of those. Um, and I cannot tell you the effort that I have undertaken in the past 48 hours to find that stupid car key, right? I looked all over Charleston, tore my house apart. Where is this key? Trying to find this key. And as I'm sitting there looking for this key, trying to locate it, I'm, I'm kind of having this conversation with God in my head. You know, it's like, all right, this is either a crazy coincidence or there's something out of this that you're trying to tell me that you want me to communicate uh, to people. And I kind of had this revelation uh, as I was kind of thinking about that. And it was kind of convicting for me because I think that that uh, experience, this effort that I undertook to locate this key, I think that's what this story that Jesus talked about, that's the parable that, that Jesus talked about. That's what it looks like in the 21st century for us, right? This lady was looking for her one lost coin. I was looking for a stupid car key for like ever. But the point here is, is that I made a huge effort to locate this key. I didn't just sit on my couch and like, come on, key, come back to me. I went out and I looked for this car key. And the analogy breaks down here because my attitude towards this car key, and this shows you why I'm not God and God is God and I'm not. My attitude towards this stupid car key is like, I'm so mad at this key, you know, because it, I mean, it it didn't get lost. We lost it, right? It's not the key's fault. It's gone, but I'm still mad at this key. Like if, you know, if I would find the key, I'd go just probably just throw it away. I don't want to have anything to do with you, you know? That's not true, but I would be very happy to have the key back. That'd be my attitude, right? But it all goes back to the point when, you know, the, the, the father and the story of the, of the um, prodigal son. It's like the father had compassion to this guy coming back. If I write the story, I'm going to be mad. That's not how it works. That's not how God's heart is towards us. But anyway, so I, I just thought about that. And I was like, man, that's, that shows how much effort that I gave to found this key. But when, I, when it comes to, for me, engaging with people in my life who are far from God, I don't make that same level of effort. That doesn't look like my life, you know? Now it's convicting for me to think about this level of effort and kind of the lack of effort that I have sometimes in that area. And so Acts uh, 15, 19 says that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And so at River Ridge, we don't want to make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And sometimes for us to make it easy for people who are coming back to God, that means that we have to make it hard on ourselves. Okay, because when we make it hard on ourselves, it makes it easy for people to come in. When we make it easy on ourselves, it's really hard for somebody to be welcome at a church. And so we can choose if we want to be a place that's about us and them, insiders, outsiders, or we can be a church that everyone feels welcome uh, to come here. And you go back to the, you know, the two camps. You have the Pharisees who are grumbling, and then you have the story where the lost son returns and the dad throws a party. I don't want us to be the Pharisees that are grumbling when people come back to God. I want River Ridge to be the party for the younger brother who's come back. That's what I want River Ridge to be about. Let's pray.